Welcome to the Why God Why podcast. My name is Peter Englert. I am here with our masterful co-host, Aaron Mercer. Wow. And our remarkable producer, Nathan Yoder. This is the first podcast of 2022, even though we're recording it Thanksgiving week. Is that a little weird? I mean, it's great. It's great. There's snow on the ground right now, so it feels like we're entering that season and... You know, you just start called me masterful, so I'll take that for a good thing, <laughs> a good, a good, uh, good thing for the start of 2022. Well, there we go. Well, today we are in the second podcast of our series, Goals for the New Year, and this is actually what we based it off of. We're asking the question, why would I have relationship goals? I brought in somebody from San Diego all the way to Rochester to do this live interview. It might also be great grandma's 100th birthday, but it's uh, my sister-in-law, Amy Elliott. Um, we'll let her introduce herself, but what do you think about this topic, Aaron? Well, first of all, I appreciate Amy being here, and thanks for coming all the way from absolutely California, warm. You came from the warmth all the way to the snow, um, but uh, great to have you here with us. Looking forward to this conversation. I think it's a good topic. I mean, the whole set of topics that we're doing here, I think, uh, are good. So we're starting a new year and definitely encourage our listeners to check out all of them as they as they drop here. But um, yeah, I mean, I think this time of year is obviously we're thinking about like, um, we were thinking about career. We had Jeff Henderson talking about that, but um, our relationships are are so important to our day-to-day life. And mm-hmm. um, this is, if there's ever a time to think about, you know, what should our relationship goals be? This is the time to do it. And when you think about resolutions, we don't always talk about relationship resolutions, but there's probably most important in our climate to really be talking about it. So on that note, Amy, welcome to Why Got Why. Well, thanks for having me. Uh, why don't you just introduce yourself, uh, share your journey of how you became a mental health counselor. Oh, it is a long one. Okay. So <laughs> uh, after I graduated college, which was 25 years ago. Um, I was quite convinced I would go and get my PhD in clinical psychology and just go straight through. And I went and worked for a very prestigious psychiatric hospital and proceeded to have a horrible experience there and become very disillusioned with the whole field of psychology. So I jumped ship and left and started doing some other things and God was moving and pushing me in different directions and kept tugging at my heart. And I knew I was supposed to be in the field of psychology in some way, but my first stop was seminary. And so I uh, got a master's in theology and still felt the tug of how was I gonna incorporate mental health and the church. And then God called me back again and I got a master's in marriage and family therapy. So I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist. And I do a lot of work with both church people and not church people uh, and incorporate what it really looks like to be healthy and mentally strong in the way that God has made us so that we tend toward health when given the right opportunity. Mm. What, before we get jumping into this topic, what's the biggest misconception about mental health that you run into in uh, San Diego? Oh, I would say it's probably not. Uh, limited just to San Diego, but it's the difference between mental health and mental illness. So this idea that if you were to seek support, you are mentally ill or you have some sort of diagnosis that's worth treating instead of the idea that everyone who is in relationship with anyone else, including themselves, probably needs a little bit of support. And so seeking out uh, an alternate voice, a wise counsel to navigate what's going on in your life. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, no, I mean, I think maybe to jump off of that a little bit, before we get to relationship goals for the new year, um, maybe it, it's important to take stock of where we've been first. Um, mm -hmm. What I mean, what have you, it's been a, it's been a very challenging couple of years in a lot mm -hmm. of ways. Um, you know, what, what have you found are some of the challenges that have come before you, things that people might need to process a bit? Um, it, it doesn't have to necessarily be um, mm -hmm. super serious, but just what do people need to process through before they start thinking about how I want to make changes in the new year? Yeah, well, and I think we have to slow and honor that it has been a really tough several years for people. And so most of the other counselors that I know are full, their practices are full, mine is certainly full because people are reaching out, people are hurting and they want support and they mm. want help. And so far and away, anxiety and depression are spiking right now. People have been in their homes with their families and things that they thought they could ignore cannot be ignored any longer. Um, or people have been alone during this time. And so that isolation, that alienation has really caused them to be aware of the holes and spaces in their lives that they might have been able to minimize or ignore before that. And so hmm. people are, which I have to say, back to that whole mental illness, mental health thing, people are understanding that they need to come in and really work through some things. Mm. And they're not waiting until, I can't even stand anymore, I'm drowning, this is too much. They are coming in and saying, uh, I need to talk. I need mm. to. I need some some help here. Well, I love how Aaron framed that because it kind of builds. So, you mentioned anxiety and depression. How do you think that plays out in the last year or two in relationships that you're kind of seeing as whether you call them symptoms or actual mm -hmm. problems? Like, how is that manifesting? Right, and we're we're talking about a whole spectrum, right? From fear and sadness all the way to maybe a diagnosable anxiety and depression and i when we have big feelings and we try to stuff them down and not deal with them they are going to come out no matter what right feelings are coming out even if you don't want them to mm. and when we don't call them what they are they come out sideways mm. and so people are experiencing this fear trying to push it down and then wondering why they're constantly bickering with their spouse or constantly critical or whatever their child is doing is driving them up the wall right or their sadness and they don't want to they're not motivated to get out and connect with people and then they're feeling lonely and why is no one contacting me and how come I don't have a friend group, right? And so instead of dealing with, oh, there's this thing that's growing that we really need to call out, they're seeing the end product and saying, oh, I'm not getting along with my husband, maybe we should divorce, right? That, just that abrupt. <laughs> well, I mean, I think that you're married, Peter, and I'm sure you've never, ever had a fight with your wife, but normal couples <laughs> fight all the time, right? And have issues. And so you're not going to cycle, obviously. Aaron's to... never had a fight never, with his wife. The never. listeners know better. So I'm only yeah. talking to the regular people amongst us who may have some <laughs> issues. And yeah, you're not fast forwarding, obviously, to let's get divorced, but things eat at you, right? They grow, sure. they pile up. I can't deal with this anymore. You always do this. You never do this. That mm. sort of thing. Mm. You know, before we get into the goals that I think, you know, we're, we're kind of, that's the rhythm of every episode and stuff. So let's talk about a single, a dating and a married person okay. or, or three different people. Not that you can't be all three. At, <laughs> well, actually you could. 
No. Well, you, you should be too. You should be dating and married. Oh, there you go. Done. And hopefully so, the recipient of your affections is the same person. <laughs> hopefully. Hopefully. Uh, yeah, we don't want to go there. So <laughs> let me, I'm just trying to kind of figure out. So I think what I hear you saying is there, there was probably a proclivity in our culture to just hold on. We could get out. We could anesthetize, whether that's positive or negative. Mm-hmm. But the coronavirus, the the climate that we're in, we kind of, I don't want to say isolated. So before we even get into the goals, how do I decipher if it's the other person's fault versus my fault? Like, <laughs> how, how do you navigate that when you're counseling someone? Well, if it's the other person's fault isn't even... That's not the first question to start with, right? Because we have no control over what the other person does, says, or feels. We only have control over ourselves. Mm -hmm. And so the question becomes, how am I contributing to this situation? What am I doing? Am I showing up as who I want to be? Am I acting in a way that is uh, reflective of my values? That sort of thing. So always in a therapy room, people would love to talk about what other people have done or how bad other people are. And really the real work is on ourselves. And so the question is, what do I need to look at? That is not to say that all things are our fault, right? So I certainly, especially in cases of abuse, don't want to imply in any way that the victim is at fault. But in most cases, in most relational things, it's absolutely two people playing a part and we need to look at our space. Hmm. You, I think the an interesting um, thing with Peter's question there is, it's assuming that there there is a relationship there already for there to be conflict in the mm-hmm. first place, um, which is of course important and needs to be worked through. Um, but how have you been finding? I mean, are there is there a growing amount of people who are struggling with just not having relationships, like having feeling isolated or um, you know. I don't know. I guess I'm I'm wondering what uh, is that something people might need to be be thinking about in the new year too. That I you know I feel like I don't have anybody I could even fight with in the first place. Like what yeah. what, what what are you finding in that? Well, for sure. And I know we're not fast forwarding to the goals, but I will say yeah. that I think for those people, a goal should be reaching out. Mm. I was listening to a great podcast. I can't remember who it was, uh, talking about going first and the idea that we could say like oh, no one wants to be friends with me. No one's reaching out to me. I feel like all these other women or all these other men are doing things and I'm not included. And the speaker was encouraging, go first, ask. That one, you know, the guy sitting next to you at life group, say, hey, do you want to grab a drink later? Or the mom with her stroller next to you, let's get the kids together and have a play date. But the idea of this is a weird time and not everyone is reaching, not everyone feels comfortable. And so go first. Mm. Well, let's go into the goals then. Because <laughs> I, I, I think that that's great. And then we'll jump off. So goal number one, you're saying let's go first. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what are some relational goals that you'd throw out there uh, to our listeners? Um, and then we'll kind of jump off there. Okay, so this is going to sound odd, but I think the first relational goal actually has to be in our relationship with self. And so we are of no good to anyone else if we haven't taken care of our own backyard. And so I would encourage everyone listening to take inventory as we click into the new year of what's going on for me? 
have I dealt with my stuff? And so I'm an attachment therapist. I focus mainly on trauma. And so a lot of that people think, oh, I don't have trauma. And so I don't mean big T trauma. We can all say, oh, yeah, that was traumatic. Mm. But I do mean little T trauma. Sometimes it's what happened, right? Oh, I was really sad and mom told me to get over it. And sometimes it was what didn't happen. I was really sad and no one came. And so the way that we navigate the world as children is the way that we navigate the world as adults. And so children are super, super clever and they figure out how to cope and adapt. And those strategies that they develop really help them get through, right? So. If you have an alcoholic parent, chances are you are hypervigilant. You're always scanning the horizon for threat. You figure out what needs to be done and how it needs to be taken care of so that everyone is okay. That works great in that environment. You grow up, you get in relationship, you're hypervigilant, you're making sure everyone's okay. You can imagine how that takes a toll on you right? That it doesn't allow you to actually show up as your authentic self because you're so busy. Are you okay? Are you okay? Okay. Right? There's a lot to take care of. Or if you, as a child, you reach, no one answers. You reach, no one answers. You reach, no one answers. Eventually you realize no one's coming. It's just me. I have to take the care of this on my own. And when you learn you have to take care of it on your own, you stop needing. It works brilliantly in that environment. You get a, a, into an adult relationship and you have no needs, it no longer works, mm. right? Your partner can't, can't figure out why she can't reach you, why you're emotionally unavailable, and it's because you've learned to shut it down because that's what worked as a child. And so, again, it's not all big T trauma. We all have ways of coping through our childhood that we're bringing into our adult relationships. And so first goal is, what do I need to look at? Am I, am I doing this the way that I want to be doing this? What do I need to stop again? I'll say it probably a million times. Anything we press down is coming out. So what do I need to look at so that it comes out in a healthy way and not a way that I would rather not have? So let's hear some other goals, but I want to just kind of hone in on this one. And Aaron, I, I'll defer to you for a little bit because I think it's hard talking about this in the church like there's a way to say I'm working on myself without saying I'm working. Cause like if you hear things like, Hey, I'm working on project me mm -hmm. or like the, I feel like the church has this odd relationship, like love God, love others, love your, like even say, I don't know. Do you feel that? Cause I, I feel like this point is really important, but you could see people running into the two extremes with it. Sure. No, that's an interesting, interesting uh, point, Peter. I think, you know, uh, I think maybe to get to what Amy was just saying is, you know, it's we're supposed to love our neighbor as ourselves. I mean, if you're not loving yourself, then there's you're missing something there. So that's that's definitely something that we need to to weigh. And I'm really glad that you brought it up, Amy. I think that's if you don't start if you don't start by at least evaluating that, you probably can't deal with the it's harder to deal with the other. If you don't know how you're treating yourself, <laughs> then you don't know how you're, you're supposed to be treating other people, probably. Well, that's a, right. Exactly. So we love others as we love ourselves, but we never stop to consider, do I love myself? Mm. How am I loving myself? Because we can't actually be more compassionate for someone else than we are for ourselves. Mm. So if we are super critical for ourselves, we have no capacity to show up and be compassionate for someone else. We don't know how to do that. And so it starts with, Okay, how do I take good care of myself? And then Peter, kind of to your point, as a church, we tend to over-spiritualize and make it into a to-do list and a workbook and a project instead of 
oh, this is really personal. How do I slow down and hear the voice of God in direct relation to my needs and my heart and what's going on inside of me? At, at what point, because like we talk about, there's like the childlikeness. Mm -hmm. There's actually a freedom in some cases when you're a child because it's like, that's kind of what we're trying to get to. The Bible talks about mm -hmm. that. But then there's a point where it's like, whether it's big T trauma or little T trauma, like, is it worth trying to rewind? Like, should I be going back? My parents didn't do this. So I'm just, you know, I got left at soccer practice when I was eight and I sat in the rain. <laughs> is that big, is that little T trauma driving some of my decisions or something? Like, if you got left pervasively, like if you were <laughs> if you were left repeatedly, then that's probably something to look at. Um, but yeah, you said something, and I just lost what I was going to say. But re re repeat what you just said right well, before that. So you know, there there's a, a positiveness. Like we're all trying to get back to being children. Well, that's what, thank you. That's yeah. exactly what I was going to say. You said there's a freedom in childhood. There's a freedom in securely attached childhood. Yes. There's not a freedom in traumatic childhood, mm -hmm. right? And so we want to get back to that carefree sense where we believe someone is taking care of us and looking out for our needs and tending to us and we are safe and protected and loved. And when I come to you, you're going to be responsive, right? That's what we want, but that's not every child's experience. And so... Mm. Many adults don't want to get back to their childhood. In fact, that was a time to lay low, don't rock the boat, because then you awaken the dragon, right? And so you, I mean, I can name a million adult adaptations that developed because that's what worked for them as kids. So it's not necessarily that we want to get back to our childhood. It's that we want to understand how our childhood influenced us so that we don't have to act out of our childhood, mm -hmm. right? So when you see an adult tantruming, right acting like their response does not fit whatever the situation is they're not acting out of their adult self their little person who was hijacked as a kid is getting hijacked now because they haven't dealt with whatever it was that was influencing how they developed does mm -hmm. that make sense no it makes a ton of sense so i think i've heard two goals so far oh good you know so the the first one is make the first move um which is kind of others focus the second one is I'll, I'll say deal with what's in your own backyard. Deal with your own stuff. Deal with your own stuff. <laughs> what, what are some other goals for the new year as you kind of see it? So if we think of it like there's really three pots, right? There's self, there's other, and then there's spiritual and God. And so if we have that self pot of, okay, what what's going on with me? Why do I act this way? And then there's the other pot, right? And I would say that this goal is probably true for self and other is be curious, we have ideas of how people are thinking and believing and behaving. And so we just take those assumptions and run with it instead of being really curious. And this is true with our kids. This is true with our spouses. This is true with our friends of how did you get there? Mm. Why do you believe that? Huh? I've never thought of it that way. But a true curiosity leads to a deepened relationship. If I assume I already know how you got there, well, there's nothing else to say. Mm. Right. But if I can ask questions and say, you know, couples come in all the time, he gets so mad and he's not mad. Mad's not the issue. We passed mad a long time ago. Right. Underneath it, if we scratch the surface of anger, nine out of 10 times, we're finding hurt or sad. But hurt and sad don't feel good to stay in while you're fighting. So you pop into mad because it's more powerful. Right. But if we can get a real curiosity on what's happening, finding out about people, then we have deepened relationships. Mm. 
That's that's interesting. Um, so I'm I'm curious uh, what you think. Maybe that's good. That's a good. I, I just I was curious. You right are a very curious you person. Yeah, I, so I, you're about I, to I ask like a question. I accomplished a goal, and it's not <laughs> when we're taping it. It's not even 2022 yet. But it may, we'll, we'll see what Kristen off. says. Oh <laughs> man. Okay. Yeah. No. Um, yeah. So um, as you know, we're, we're we again we're taping this right before Thanksgiving, and and um, it's coming out mm-hmm. right in the new year. It's an interesting season um, for. I mean, it's a beautiful season. I love. I love the holiday season. I love this time of year. Um, I have to imagine it's also can be a difficult time for people, or at least it's an emotionally packed time, even if it's not difficult, happy or sad or whatever. Um, but what what is a goal someone might be having, be thinking about coming out of that season um, that they should be thinking about right now for a relationship goal? Um, but you know, what is one that will have staying power in June, like what? What do you think someone should be focusing on now mm-hmm. that can have a big impact on the whole year, and not just something they're maybe just reacting to in the past, either of the the high or the low of the past five weeks? Yeah. Well, in the vein of be curious, I think it's interesting because our circles have gotten much smaller as a result of the pandemic, and so as our circles close in, we tend to have this echo chamber effect, right? Of being surrounded by those that really agree with our perspectives. And then, I mean, we can see this on a national level, right? Then we marginalize or demonize anyone who falls outside of what we have deemed, okay, normal, our beliefs, right? And so with this curiosity, and I think this carries us to June, this carries us to to eternity of, if I'm curious and you think something differently, then I think from my little small world, how do I invite you into my world in a real and meaningful way Hmm. where I can ask you questions and we can actually not agree and we can still talk? How do we become friends with people who are not like us and respect them even though they think differently than us? And so I think that that is a great goal of, hey, incorporate some people in your life who are not sitting next to you in a pew, who are not standing next to you at the rally, who are not, you know, exactly in the life season that you're in. How do you figure out what makes them tick and then allow them to be them without trying to change them? Hmm. So what does that conversation look like? Because, so, I mean, you wouldn't know anybody that would leave a conversation disagreeing and they would feel like it's all their fault. You, you wouldn't <laughs> no, have I a brother-in-law. No, I don't know anyone like that. that no. you know, see, this is a joy of having family. Here. No, I, <laughs> uh, I was really wondering what this conversation would be like if we did it after Thanksgiving versus, you know, because right. you guys gotta get a little time to talk. You know, it. so this goes out to Chris Mason, our other outlaw, yes. you know, and then the original <laughs> outlaw, my mother-in-law, Kathy. So this is, this is a family affair right now. So. <laughs> So like, even though I personally struggle with that, Mm -hmm. you know, that I'll, and it doesn't even have to be political. I'll leave every conversation and that's probably some other, we'll save that for my counselor. Peter, should I ask you some questions? You know, maybe, maybe. (laughs) But how do you be okay with the mess versus like just scorched earth? Because I think, I think that's what we're trying to wrestle with. Mm -hmm. Like we can agree to disagree, but how do I like after we agree to disagree, how do we still have coffee or Thanksgiving together next year? Because I think there's a lot of people in that reality. 
I think too many people jump to scorched earth. There is mm. this, and the church has notoriously not done this well, right? We Let me hand you a track and tell you about the Romans road and without having any relationship. And so I would say you can't even begin to have meaningful conversation unless the person knows you care about them. And if there's not relational capital, why would they want to dive into something personal with you that they believe? If they do dive in, it's only to fight. Mm. Right. If we don't have a relationship, really, I'm just trying to yell at you and convince you this is Facebook 101. Right. Because so many minds are changed by comments on Facebook. <laughs> and so. Right. And so I would say your first conversations with people who are different in some way than you is not about that conversation at all. It's spending time with the person, having coffee with the person, getting to know the person. Because in addition to being a supporter of X or a believer in Y, they also, I was going to say surf, but I guess that's a very San Diego specific example. <laughs> <laughs> but they also probably have a, a myriad of other interests that you can engage in until the relational capital is built where you can have those really meaningful conversations where they trust you can hold their beliefs without trying to shoot it down. Mm -hmm. No, that's good. Yeah. Um, so what what's something practical that someone could do in the first 15 days of this month to feel like they made some headway on on that goal? I would we're back to go first, right? I would say find that person that you'd like to grow in relationship with this year, 2022, and go first. Ask them to do something, ask them, start a conversation with them, make time or space for them, but just start with one person who you'd really like to engage deeply with this year and go for it. Mm. And that could be your spouse, by the way. Oh, there you go. You heard it first, listeners. It could also be your child, mm. right? Because our kids, and just, I know not all of our listeners have children, but kids have had a rough go over the last several years. It was already tough being a teenager, um, a preteen in this time of social media and technology. And then you remove friends and all of the normal stages that are supposed to happen in the hell that is middle school and then high school. And so it's tough and kids need to be heard and to make sense of their feelings. And again, be curious because we have lots of ideas on what they should do to make their life better. They might actually just need to talk it through. Mm -hmm. That's really I good. I love that. That's really good. Yeah. yeah. No, I love that. Before we move on, I let's talk about dating relationships. Okay. Um so, you know, there's a chasm in in the church and there's actually a chasm in the world. You know, there's there's the we're going to date for 8 years mm -hmm. and maybe at some point get married. <laughs> and then there's like, "Oh, I just met you 3 months ago. Like, let's get married." <laughs> And, you know, as a pastor, I, I sense with dating relationships, especially it's, it's been difficult because in some ways, you know, the past two years has brought people closer together in a faster way, sometimes mm -hmm. good, sometimes bad. Other times it's, you know, when are you making the decision to either break up or get married? Like, mm -hmm. I don't know what else you're going to find out. And that's not even a time frame. Yeah. So, I mean, as you counsel, as you walk with people, what would be maybe some dating goals for next year if someone's on the road to potentially get married? Well, it's that's funny you bring it up because we were just having this conversation with our, our little force of my family. So I have two teenagers and we were talking about dating and I was bringing up the point that dating is a really important part of discovering things about yourself mm. because we date to figure out what we can live with and what we can't live with and what we want and what we don't want. And so we have all these ideas of, oh, I want someone who is, insert, just like me. 
right? And then you start dating and you think, oh, well, they're really thoughtful. I didn't know that I needed someone who was that thoughtful and considerate. That's that's interesting. Or, oh, I run at 100 all the time. Someone who runs at 30 would drive me nuts. And then you realize, oh, they kind of slow me down. This is nice. We can find a balance. So I think dating is super important. I know there was a whole movement of kissing, dating, goodbye. Do not do that, <laughs> right? It's important. And I'm not saying dive into the deep end right away, but I am saying it's okay to figure out yourself in relationship and what you prefer and what you don't prefer and what's important to bring out the best in you. Do you believe in the one? <laughs> I found the one. If you're listening, honey, that's you. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> nice. Um, no. I mean, yes and no. I think that God has divinely orchestrated our lives so that the one that he has for us to be with will come in and we can live fruitful lives where we honor and glorify him. And I think that we probably have the ability to be really happy with um other people that come into our lives too. And the reason that I think that's important is that people come in all the time, especially Christians, so afraid that they've missed the will of God. And they envision it as like a super highway. And if they miss that off ramp, it's done. They've missed their purpose. It's not going to happen. The one who was meant for them, the job, the, all of the things, the chance is off the table. And so I try to help people understand that God doesn't work that way. Like you, if you, it's not like you're going to miss that one opportunity and then your life is forever going left instead of right. right. In fact, there are lots of off ramps and there are lots of choices. And that's what God's love and free will is all about for us is that he can plant us in various places and we can flourish and we can bring glory to the kingdom. It just might look different in each, each of those spaces. So if you're not ready for the off ramp yet and you stay on the highway a little longer, another one's coming, right? Don't hear me say that there are a hundred men or women out there for you to marry. What I am saying is you don't have to worry that God is only giving you one chance. And if you somehow overlook it or miss it, you've lost your purpose for your life. I am going to regret this on so many levels, but I think you two will be really happy about that. Yeah. So <laughs> um, I was listening to Tom Brady's podcast mm. And my son is pleased already. Yeah, Aaron's <laughs> pleased. And so everybody points to this moment, New York Jets, that Mo Lewis hits Drew Bledsoe and he comes in. And in this podcast, Man in the Arena, they talk to like an actual um, neuroscientist or something like that. And basically they go through that because everybody says, well, if that hit doesn't happen, then Tom Brady doesn't play. Hmm. And to reaffirm your point, they basically said, no, Tom Brady was that good. If he didn't get that chance that week, there yeah. was a sports reporter from Boston that was like, you know, people forget the Patriots weren't that good. <laughs> so probably week four or five, you know, even if you love Drew Bledsoe, he didn't have a great game against the Jets. Yeah. Like Tom Brady. So I think to reaffirm your point, we, you know, whether you follow Jesus or not, whether you call it fate or sovereignty mm -hmm. of God, like we put way too much pressure even on ourselves on something that almost should be freeing. Mm -hmm. I think that was that's really interesting um, because, you know, uh, you don't have to you don't have to put it all on yourself. Yeah. I think that's important for people to to hear. You don't have to put it all on yourself. It is important that you don't just slough it all off yourself too. Mm -hmm. I mean, you, you made right. the point already. Go first. You mm -hmm. know, be curious. Get out. You know, go. 
whether it's in dating, like Peter has brought up this con that context, or in other relational contexts, like get out there and make you know um, make a make a take a step, take a next step. Um, but but on the on the flip side, I I really like what you're emphasizing too that it's not all on you to make the perfect plan happen. Mm -hmm. um, as you were saying that, I was just thinking um, I love. Peter knows this already, but I love C.S. Lewis books. Mm. I love, and I, I I know that they're technically kids' books, but I love the Narnia books too. And um, I just, you know, there was a moment. This is this is in the context of a mistake. I don't think that every choice that you make is a mistake or not mistake. It's a choice or not a choice. But sometimes you make mistakes. Sure. And um, you know, the one of the main characters, Lucy, was she was sad by that and. Um, and asking Aslan, who is, you know, is the, the Christ figure in the, in the book, like, you know, basically, did I mess it all up? Or can we, you know, and she, and, and he, you know, what would have happened? And he basically says, well, we wouldn't, we won't know what would have happened, but what will happen is, you know, what, what we can make happen. There was like an, there was a, there, yes, there is a sadness of maybe what, what didn't happen. It didn't yeah. go the right way, but it doesn't mean that things can't be set right in a different way sure um and i don't know if there's a i think there's a hope to that and i think that's important to think about with relationships so <laughs> i'm not supposed to be the one that's doing a little talking you're the you're the guest here <laughs> but you you got me uh, very interested in um i think that's an important thing to be thinking about at the beginning of a new year it's not all on us it's not all on us that's yeah. right well, that's why she's a brilliant therapist. So she got me talking. She got yeah, you talking. Look, that's, that's the, look at that. Well, how about the three of us get really personal right now? All like, right. let's talk about where each of us have grown in our relationships in the past year mm -hmm. and one area where we'd like to grow. And Amy, because Aaron and I have doing the talking, unfortunately, you've got to go first now. Only if you guys promise to follow. We will. Okay. <laughs> so where I've grown in, relationally in the past year, uh, I would say with my parenting for sure. And so as I mentioned, I have two teenagers, which, right, that is... That's a rough go. It's you just don't even know. I, Ryan said to Peter me, Peter and I don't know yet. Where <laughs> yeah, you it's, don't. It's coming. You don't know what well, you don't know. <laughs> I do have to say this to our listeners and Josh, Kate, if you're if you're uh, if you're watching this, but uh, my two daughters just love their older cousins. So mm. I see the best of the teenage years. That's all I'm saying. Well, and I have two great kids. I will say that straight out. I have two great kids, and they're still humans. So. You know, I think Ryan, my husband, said the other day, we were chatting and I said to him, guess what I said to make Kate mad today? And he goes, hello? Because <laughs> <laughs> that's sort of the phase we're in. But going back to how we're raised really influencing us, in my role I, as a child, I was the peacekeeper in my family. And so I, my sister kind of got to be a little bit harder and I made sure everybody was okay. And so as my kids are coming of the age where that would have really been happening for me in my own childhood, I could see myself wanting them to be happy and okay. Right. And so this like sort of intolerance or uncomfortability when things weren't okay and wanting to jump in and wanting to fix it. And so one of the greatest lessons as parents we can learn is to lean back, <laughs> it's really challenging myself that it's not all going to be good and it's not all going to be easy. And they really need that to grow and become the mature and resilient adults that God has meant them to be. Uh, but, oh, as a mom, you just want to, right, 
get in there and do what you can and make them feel okay. But mm -hmm. it's the same as your kid learning to tie his shoe and you keep saying, oh, just stop, I'll do it. If you keep tying the kid's shoe, the kid is never going to learn to tie your shoe, right? Mm -hmm. And so eventually you've got to let him struggle and cry and say, this is hard, I'll never get it. And he will. And so the shoe tying just happens to look different depending on the age of your kid. <laughs> so is that is that an area of growth for the future or do you think you've been growing or is that both? Oh, I think it's never ending growth. Okay. Right. There's no arrival here, Peter. <laughs> well, I, I wasn't The two questions were, how did you grow in the last year? Yeah, how would you like to grow? Sure. So it's the same thing. Yeah, okay. no, for sure. I wish I could say that I have arrived and figured it out and dialed it in and I'm raising super children, right? Mm -hmm. um, but I'm raising flawed children who are great and tremendous and kind of what you were getting to before of... Yeah, in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, right? So I can trust that even if this really stinks and it's really hard, and like I said, because of my own stuff and childhood, it's really difficult for me. I want to jump in and over-function and help regulate them, that I have to trust that, in fact, in all things, no matter how desperate it might look, God can make something great come out mm -hmm. of it. That's good. Yeah. Oh, I can go. Yeah, do it. Yeah. Uh, I love so it. I, yeah, I think that's a great question, Peter. Um, you know, I, I, um, I think looking back, um, I know, you know, as this next, the month goes on that we're in the middle of right now, um, leading up to the new year, uh, I know this is dropping in the new year, but I'm sure I'll be thinking about more things. But as I've been reflecting on that, I think that I have, uh, this will say, it sounds funny to say, I think because you know, Peter would probably see me as someone who is a um, a processor, a reflector, mm -hmm. keep my mouth shut and listen first, and which is true. Um, I think that maybe in this past year, I'm hoping that I've gotten better about doing the same thing, even with like with people who I'm closest to too, of just like listening um, first, and maybe even if there's something on the tip of my tongue, maybe it's better to just hold that thought for a minute and let. Yeah. Uh, the other person process. Now, Kristen, my wife can tell me if that's actually true or not, or, but um, that's something I've been thinking about. But I, I do think that as far as a goal goes, maybe stemming off of that, um, Amy, I really liked what you said about uh, listening to your kids. Mm. Um, and my kids are getting old enough. There's kind of a change happening for me and my family. My kids are a little older than Peter's, but they're not quite teenagers yet. But it, it's the point where I think, you know, they have stuff to say. Yeah. And and sometimes I need to get out of the parenting of a two-year-old mode and get into the parenting of a, I need to listen to what they have to say because it's valuable. Yeah. They, mm -hmm. You know, they might still need course correction at mm -hmm. some point, but I need to be listening. Other, and I, you know, I think that might go for, that could be applied more generally to anyone who um, you need to find value in what they're saying, but particularly mm -hmm. for my kids. So I think that's good. It's a good challenge for the new year. Mm -hmm. I got my goal already. Look at that. Right? Well, and even thinking of, as you're talking about how that plays out for them, right? So they learn that there's space for their voices. They learn that their voices are important, that someone cares what they have to say. So you can fast forward that all the way to adulthood and how beneficial that will be to them, right? <laughs> I have clients, one I'm, in particular I'm thinking of, who's in childhood was so afraid of making the adults upset that he just again didn't take up space and so now in authority with authority figures with his boss and he just doesn't even with his wife it's really hard for him to have an opinion or to ask for help or to need something but if someone at the age of your kids had said hey what do you think you know like 
I'm, I'm curious how you'd like to do this. Is there a different or better way that you'd prefer we do the bedtime routine? Right, in age-appropriate language, of right. course, but yeah. just what you are teaching them and what you're handing over to them that they'll carry then into their adult lives is mm. super important. Mm. Look, look at you. I love when Aaron says he's frustrated. Like, that's just, I just think that's great. <laughs> he's like, I'm frustrated. I'm like, yes, let's go, let's go. <laughs> hey that's why no i'm feeling good right now i mean you started off the year calling you know me masterful and i feel like i feel like i got a gold star from our our (laughs) guest here you you got a gold star in free therapy so you know that's what i'm talking about good good start to the year so you know i'm actually gonna pull amy and aaron that's that's what you get to do when you get to answer last but you know, probably where I've grown the most and where I need to continue to grow the most is differentiation. Mm. So, you know, I'm part of a anxiety support group and like we were, we were talking a lot about that and, oh man, I am going to butcher this, but it's the movie with John Hamm from Mad Men and he, I think it's called the golden arm or something like that where so he goes to india and he tries to find a cricket player to play baseball i did see that yeah yeah yeah. yeah. so (laughs) we're in this support group and we're watching his wife because he's very anxious and stressed out Mm -hmm. and he's going at her because one of the people actually cut their finger uh one of the contestants cut their finger making tacos Mm. and he's like you don't know what this is gonna do to us like and she the whole time is differentiating like hold on you're getting upset you're getting angry like and just to see it was a good example not a perfect example yeah and i think relationally when i go wrong is when i'm not differentiating yeah so our next episode we're not going to ask you what your enneagram type is but (laughs) my enneagram type is a two and i think one of the things that enneagram experts would say for enneagram twos that are helper is what's mine to carry mm-hmm. so you know when you differentiate really well you know, you can let someone get really really angry and upset and not take it personal yeah and even i think my default is we need to respond to it now we need to get it done and over with whereas like you know i i think growth this past year i got like a a wild email that probably two years ago and it it wasn't like a super critique email it was just one of these like personally I felt like this was the wrong time to be sending this this is one more thing kind of thing like that I get this email and where I saw growth was instead of typing right back instead of you know going to the person calling them or it was just like thanks for sharing Hmm. and that and like when I told my group that they were like well, that's like huge growth. It didn't feel like it because it didn't, in some ways, it didn't feel like you got resolved, but it was differentiating enough yeah. to be able to say like, you know, hey, you know, if you want this, you know, this baseball future baseball player mm-hmm. to not cut their finger, that's a little <laughs> impossible. They can do that whether they're making tacos or not. And even in the future to be able to, I feel like if I'm able to differentiate in a better way, you're actually more available to people because the space between you and them and they're allowed to have it up you know i'll close with a kind of answering this question i i just heard uh steve cuss who we had on the podcast you know he interviewed amy patrick she's the wife of darren patrick a pastor that committed suicide Hmm. and she was talking about grief and she was talking about how people say things 
that they think are helpful, but it actually helps them feel better. Yeah. So like it's the let go and let God, or let me give you a Bible verse right now. But someone that's done work and that's differentiated, you know, whether it's something as tragic as that or something that's, you know, mundane, like I'm just angry at life, Mm -hmm. to be able to give someone the gift of presence of this is your space, Mm -hmm. I'm here. And she even gave a positive example. She said there was someone that while they were grieving, you know, just said, you know, can I take your daughter to a softball game? Mm. Um, Because my daughter would really enjoy that. So all the pressure came off her Mm -hmm. and she feels like she's asking a lot of help, but she's saying, oh, wow, these two daughters want to spend time together. And so I I give you all those examples because I've been processing and thinking about that of like when we differentiate, you know, whether it's marriage, whether it's friendship or family or parents, you're able to to actually give more to other people than you would if you felt like, well, I just have to give because, you know, we're, what's the opposite of differentiating? You're the attachment theory. Come well, on. and I was going to say for those listeners who don't know what well, sure. differentiation is, it's this idea that I know where I end and you begin. There we go. Right. And so it's being a separate entity from your partner or someone you're in relationship to. So you can be sad and overwhelmed and I can still be okay. You Mm -hmm. don't need to be okay for me to be okay. Mm -hmm. And that's the difference, right? And with grief, it's really important because people don't do well when other people are in pain, Mm. right? We just don't. We naturally want to lean in and make them feel better. And so we do all these gymnastics to say, oh, you're okay, you're fine, this is going to pass. And in fact, that's not how it works at all. Uh, Grief isn't something that we work through. It's something we learn how to carry especially when it's something like the loss of a spouse. You don't move past that and, oh, I'm okay now. You just learn how to kind of customize your life around it so that there's a space to hold that grief while you're moving forward and creating new relationships and new adventures, right? So it's a crock to say, if you're okay, I'm okay. <laughs> well, no, that that would be yeah, that would be not the goal, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right, right, right. Uh, yeah, no, I was, this is, See, we could just spend hours and hours because I was preaching recently and I was talking about how we had been watching. Have you seen the movie Inside Out? Yeah. And so we, we, we saw it together at Ocean City. Ocean. <laughs> so, so like we're seeing this movie, all the adults were like, and the cousins were younger. Yeah, they were young. All the adults were like, this movie's fantastic. The kids were like, yeah, it was all right. (laughs) (laughs) So the other day, though, we're flipping through and it was on Disney Channel or whatever. And so we started to watch it. And now that the kids are older, right? My son actually wasn't there. It was my daughter. And she's super into it. But there's this great scene where the... For those of you who haven't seen it, the emotions are in charge of regulating the little girl, Riley. And joy and sadness get lost from headquarters. And so everyone is saying, Riley can't be happy without joy. We've got to get joy back. We've got to get, because Riley has to be happy. And so as they're they're tootling back to get to headquarters, they run into an imaginary friend that's no longer of use to the little girl. And so the imaginary friend is crying and crying. And Joy is like, you're okay. It's all right. She'll remember you. We'll figure out how to, and he's still crying. And Sadness sits down next to him and goes, that's really sad. That's really hard. And the imaginary friend keeps crying and then stops and goes, I feel better. Mm. And Joy says, sadness, how did you do that? And sadness goes, sometimes we things are just sad and we just need to feel it. Mm. 
And that's the truth. We are so afraid of these emotions that we don't perceive as good or happy or, you know, fill in the blank, the positive emotions that we avoid them instead of just sitting in them, letting people be sad, letting people, the emotion's going to pass. Emotions never stay forever, but we need to feel them and move through them, experience them. Sad is not a bad thing. I'm not sure what made me think of that, but it was so, the grief, I think, uh, it was just so powerful, right? That our job is not to entertain and distract. Our job is to be an authentic relationship where we actually feel and validate. Well, but I think even what you're saying, and that's, I'm glad you went that direction. Like our goals isn't an agenda for a relationship. Our goal is connection. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I've heard my wife say this. She's amazing at this. Like, you know, just the simple statement of, it sounds like you're really sad right now. Mm-hmm. And to hear someone say that, now our fear is we're gonna get that wrong. I'm not sad, I'm in despair. Mm-hmm. Well, like the fact that you entered into that, mm-hmm. I, I think that that's even a relational goal. Like, are you in tune enough with yourself and with the other person? you know, to be able to say that. Yeah. Like when Aaron says, I'm frustrated, I'm like, all right, let's go. <laughs> and he's like, shut up. But anyway, but no, I think that's good. The last two questions, and then we'll we'll kind of throw it, throw it in. This has been a great episode. Um, the next time you fly in, we'll just, uh, we'll put you here, <laughs> you know? Um, so we've kind of hit on this, and I think it's really important though. When we make resolutions, they sound really, really personal. Mm -hmm. But I I think the concern is, you know, whether this is kind of fair or unfair, at what level do I need to see this as personal versus outside me relationships? You know, just considering my friends groups, considering Mm -hmm. all of this, where does, where would you say in the next year in our current context, where do I need to kind of see a good boundary, but also kind of see the needs of others? How do I manage that tension? Does that make sense? Yeah, I think you're asking a both and question, mm-hmm. right? We need to take care of self in order to take care of others. We're hardwired for relationship, right? That is how we were made. First for relationship with God, then relationship with other. And so if I hear you right, you're saying, how do we do it in a healthy way where you get to have your voice and I get to have my voice? Mm-hmm. And you said differentiation earlier. And that word boundary, of course, is so important. A lot of people have read the classic boundaries books, but this idea that we have boundaries in order to keep ourselves safe, not in order to keep ourselves separate. Mm-hmm. And so we set up a boundary because this is what I need to be okay. This is tending to myself. This is when I pay attention to this right here, I can show up and be present and readily available for you. When I don't, when the fence, when the barrier doesn't exist and you just keep to come, you know, come and go as you please, I don't feel safe. And then I'm acting out of a place of fear or overwhelm or frustration or why are you respecting me right there's all sorts of places i could go and so we set up our boundaries to tend to ourselves so then we then can look at the other and reach out and say oh okay this is what you need boundaries go both ways i give the hot plate analogy all the time if you're at a restaurant usually the waiter comes over and says oh while they're handing it to you they say the plate's really hot and we're so used to grabbing for things we want to reach out and then we wonder why our hands are burning right and so when someone is handing you something you don't necessarily need to grab it Mm. right you don't need to take the hot plate so just because someone's coming over to you and saying oh here 
you can say, oh, no, that's hot. I don't want to burn myself. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> right. So we choose what we're going to grab onto and what we're not. And the way that we make those choices best is when we have come from a place of, oh, I feel well tended to. I feel well rested. I feel taken care of. And look, I can show up and be in relationship with you. Wow. Well, hey, this leads us to our last question. So this is another all of us answer. So okay. what does Jesus have to say about this topic? What does Jesus have to say about relational goals in 2022 or the new year? So Aaron, who's going first, me or you? And then I can go a first. Amy, you get to. So the reason we go first okay. is if there's any heresy or anything wrong, you get to clean it up. Oh, perfect. <laughs> Do I get to throw stones while you speak? Oh, or is that... <laughs> hey. Ah, you know, we still we still have a Christmas tree up, so you can throw an ornament. <laughs> an you ornament. Know. There you go. All of a sudden, Amy's, you know, crack, crack, crack. <laughs> you start hearing crashes in the background. Um, no, I think that's a, this is a, a really great conversation. Um, and I think just jumping off of what you just said, I, I, um, I, I like, and I'm going to get back to the, the question, actual question, but, oh, no, no. but um, you had mentioned as a goal, like, go do something, like get mm -hmm. out there and make a first move. Um, and it's that that's something you can do. I also loved how you just kind of framed that, pre what you previously just said is you can also make a move to not accept certain things mm -hmm. too. Like you... You're not just passive in mm -hmm. all this. There is an active element, whether it's a go out there and try to um, connect with someone, or you can also actively try to, if there's something that's um, not, when I say not healthy, it doesn't necessarily have to be an unhealthy relationship, but it could just be like, I can't do that right now. Yeah. Um, it's a hot plate and, and, <laughs> and I'm not gonna grab for that right now. I mean, that's, I yeah. think that's really, that's good to think about. And it goes back to thinking about yourself. Um, mm -hmm knowing yourself. So I, I think that, uh, I think, I mean, Jesus wants us to figure out um, what steps we should be taking in relationship with each other um, mm -hmm. about ourselves, uh, knowing ourselves, knowing other people. Um, ultimately, we want to be knowing him. That's what he wants. And if we're in a right relationship with him, um, that will that will help everything, everything else. Um, and so I think that this is a really important topic because it's, it's easy to, you mentioned earlier the idea of we spiritualize things sometimes mm -hmm. and, and there is a spiritual element to things, but at the same time, we need to get practical sometimes. Right. And I think that's, <laughs> that's why this point in the year is really a strategic time when we can be thinking, okay, what steps, what's an actual step I could take right now to improve a relationship? Um, and um, and at the end of the day, that's going to help me uh, get better in my. Hopefully, that's going to help me get better uh, spiritually, also. Yeah. Mm. Man, I I, I, didn't, love... I didn't get any stones, by the way. So your <laughs> or ornaments well, thrown at me. So. We, we we still got one more to go. Yeah. So, well, you know. well, you're. I mean, that's what I'm saying. The pressure's on. Well, you here. know, she'll just she'll just bring it up at grandma's <laughs> right, that's birthday right. party. She'll be like, "Why did I do that podcast?" Um. So I just got done reading. Um the gospel of Luke's version of the Sermon on the Mount, which I feel like there's just some nuances there. It's kind of the same, but you know, we would, as Christians, we would say that's the greatest sermon ever preached. And, you know, there's this whole section about like loving your enemies. And if you don't love your enemies, then mm -hmm. that's just like what the pagans do. And I've been thinking about this question and that passage because 
you know, when you go back to the book of Luke, there was actually some ethnic prejudices, mm. you know, between Jews and Gentiles. So it wasn't like this church that was beautiful. And, mm -hmm. and, and this is what the writer of Luke is quoting Jesus by saying, you know, pray for your enemies, love those people. And I, I think about that even in terms of this question where, you know, Jesus before psychology was really big was hey, when you start praying for someone that you don't get along with, mm -hmm. and as G.K. Chesterton said, you know, God says love your neighbors and love your enemies because most of the time they're the same person. <laughs> but, you know, it starts with connecting with God, connecting with yourself, and by praying and loving, that changes the relationship. Yeah. So I think that the reason we even ask this as a church podcast is, you know, we're asking this because in your small group, in your coworkers, in your work groups, there's people that are going to drive you nuts. They might not be quote unquote enemies, but the same process of what is God doing in your life? How are you changing? How does that affect relationships? And I just kind of felt that theme throughout this whole podcast. So those are my thoughts. Yeah, no, I'm glad that you felt that theme. I think that's right on. I think the second part of go first is lead with love, mm. right? Because we don't generally as a people lead with love we again lead with our opinions and trying to convince each other and so if we can really be curious and ask the questions from a loving place where i really care about you so i don't care how different somebody's opinions are they are uh, made in the image of god and therefore i am called to mm -hmm. love them right and so if i can hold that as the fundamental truth of any conversation even if i'm driven up a wall or i can't believe you think that I can still love you and treat you well and have compassion and grace for you and hopefully you in return. But again, I have no control over that. <laughs> uh, but when I have those conversations, I think that love is the most important thing. So if I never get to talk about my theology, if I never get to talk about my political affiliation, if I never get to talk about where I stand on courtroom verdicts and you know that I love you or you even know that I care about you and how you're feeling, it's good enough for me. Wow. What a way to close. <laughs> well, uh, folks, you can get this episode, but also uh, our next episode is we're going to find out Aaron's Enneagram number. So. <laughs> oh, maybe, all right. Do we maybe, not know I this? Know. Well, Peter's been trying to figure me out for a while. Okay. Right? So Although I think that's not really what you're supposed to do with Enneagrams, but we'll get to that next week. Well, <laughs> I did not guess your number. So, <laughs> so our first episode, uh, make sure you go listen to Jeff Henderson, Why Would I Have Work Goals for uh, the New Year. Definitely share this episode with your friends and family. I think Amy's really great. If you're in the San Diego area, you can reach out to Amy at <laughs> amyelliotcounseling.com. Yeah. Is that right. correct? That's and. Right. Uh, you know how to find us. Go to whygotwhypodcast.com. Make sure you subscribe to our email. That's the best way to stay connected with us. We hope you're having a great start to the new year. Thank you for joining us in this podcast. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Happy New Year.